Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. All right, everyone, welcome. This is a dual purpose, Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance podcast with Dr. Greg Friedman. So this is going up as a podcast, and then it's also going to go up in our student membership hub. So this is going to be a new thing we're doing for student members. We are going to create a database of information valuable to them as they go off into their life as practicing chiropractors. Uh, to help them along if they decide to listen to the advice or not. Uh, and my personal approach after, I don't know what you would call what I've been doing for the last 10 years. I don't know what this is. <laughs> um, I guess guidance, men- mentorship, uh, facilitating conversations is what I've done. Facilitating mm. conversations. And in my experience, a lot of the things need to be said over and over again. One, because people don't listen which is normal, especially young people. They, they typically will either have analysis by paralysis, right, Greg? Mm-hmm. Or they just won't listen at all because they think they know it all already. They go out, they experience the pain because they didn't listen, and then they come back and ask for these same questions that we already answered again. So we're going we're gonna to record this stuff instead of just making it a Facebook post because Dr. Friedman had this excellent conversation he initiated on his own. It was a long three-part, I believe, rant. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I think five people will see that. And <laughs> there's, there's probably one or two we can save out there that didn't see that one yet. And if we can, um, sort of make it, uh, evergreen so they can come back to it, that would be good. So we're doing that. Uh, also, Greg, you may know that we have always had FTCA like membership, right? On, on our website, <laughs> we have this membership, you know, people have, they can join a map. So when they need to refer somebody to a different city or state, they can yep. look them up on the map and they can say, that might be a good doc for you to go see. Uh, I'm a member and I'm on the map. Yeah. You can get on the map. Um, there is the, the content hub. So there's like hundreds of hours, including mm-hmm. tons of stuff from you on there where members can go. And if they are inquisitive and curious minded people, they can learn a lot of stuff from that hub. There's not, it's not um, coaching or, you know, no, no one's right. like giving direct advice, but if you're curious at learning stuff, stuff there, yeah, good stuff, Chiro- chiropractic stuff. And then there's like discounts and things like that. And students have always been able to join for free, not always. So they used to have to pay, I think it was like $10 for a mm-hmm. year. And then we said, let's make it free because that's always the, the conscientious move, right? Is there students? We want to help them out. Right. Let's. Let's do this thing for them. Let's show them we care. Let's make that it that works so well. Yeah. And it's it's always a disaster. <laughs> Our the the student involvement and usage actually cratered when we made it free instead of just really? ten dollars. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely zero involvement whatsoever. Um, yeah, uh, when, because they, they weren't invested, right? They didn't like right. Care. So when chiropractors want to give away free services, which many do, I tell them I'm like. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. It's, it's like we have data on this. <laughs> um, so what we've done with the student membership is now we've made it $20, but it's for their whole entire student life. 
So nice. You know, if you whatever you call it, freshman, try one, whatever it is. Right. And you pay the 20, you get it all the way through your three or four years. Um, you know, if you walk in and you discover FTCA like a couple months before you graduate, sorry, it's 20 bucks, but you know, it, it's I worth think it. that's reasonable. Uh, and if you're a life student and you're in your eighth year, you know, it's, <laughs> it's probably pays off pretty well because you get eight years for 20 bucks. <laughs> See, now it's all starting to make sense. <laughs> it, it all balances out. Um, and then we're going to have uh, videos and like a little bit of how to, you know, mm -hmm. students need to know a little bit of how to do this stuff or how it works because they are clueless. And sometimes when they're clueless, they'll ask other clueless people for advice and then they'll continue to perpetuate the cluelessness, cluelessness that right. exists within the profession, particularly around business things. And that's what mm -hmm. this was originated around, right? It was sort of mm -hmm. a three-parter, but you wanted to start with, let me let me get you set off, and then you. Th I'm doing all the talking now because I know once I get you started, <laughs> then I just have to stand back and and you take it home from there. Yeah, all right. Um. But uh, you wanted to talk about initially. Let me find it. Oh, here it is. It was a. It was like look. It was accounting practices and CPAs. So that's what got us talk. That's what you got you talking, right? Mm -hmm. Was like, there's a lot of sort of my CPA does this, but can I find someone else that'll do it cheaper? Right. That's a noble business idea. Then mm -hmm. there's also the idea of like, if I pay the most for a CPA, that means they're going to do the best <laughs> job. And that's not true at all either. <laughs> but that post comes up a lot off. Like if I'm paying $10,000 a year for accounting work, that must mean they're good, right? Right. <laughs> all right. Uh, so do you recollect your three-parter, the things you wanted to talk about and I you think want so. to run through them? Okay. I think so. The So let me give a little background on this first. I, and here's my disclaimer. I am not an accountant. Yeah, neither. No financial parts. I'm not a CPA, you know, anything I'm giving you is just information. Uh, please consult with your tax professional on this. I do have a bachelor's degree in business. When I was uh, before chiropractic school, I was at Arizona State on a four-year full-ride scholarship, an academic scholarship. And I majored in what every pre-med student majors in, I majored in biology. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember the first biology class I sat in, there were 300 people in the room and we were talking about botany. And I thought, kill Thanks. me now. Yeah. Botany is the worst. I don't want to know about botany. And it got me thinking, I'm like, damn it. I, okay. What if, I mean, I've been wanting to be a chiropractor since I'm five years old and I'm like, okay, if something happens to me and, and I can't be a chiropractor, What's my plan B? What am I going to do with a degree in fucking biology? And I thought, well, I could sell shoes at a department store, maybe. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. So then I changed majors and I majored in the next most popular one for pre-med at the time, which was zoology. Oh, wow. And the reason is because your pre-med classes fall within that degree. So you're able to do pre-med and get your degree. Uh, but I had the same thought. I'm like, it's going to be the same problem. If I, if something happens to me, how, what do I, what's my plan B? I'd be a zoologist. And I thought there's got to be 
something that I could do that will actually help me as a chiropractor and be a plan B if something happens and it doesn't work out. So I thought about majoring in business. So I went to my advisor and I asked my advisor, hey, I'm pre-med. And my question is, am I allowed to be pre-med and major in business? And the advisor said, no. <laughs> I said, no, like there's an actual rule about that. She said, no, there's no rule about that. It's just, it would be way too much because you'd be, you're, you know, you want your elective classes to be the easy stuff, right? And for you, it would be the pre-med stuff would be your electives. That's not easy. And you're going to be on different sides of campus and it's going to be too much. And I said, let me worry about that. It, I, I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, I'll switch. So I, I was I was told that I was one of the first pre-med students in the country that ever that would major in something other than the science of the pre-med stuff. And then what's interesting, soon after that, people other pre-med students were asking me, what are you doing? I'm like, I told them like, and suddenly <laughs> all these pre-med students started getting degrees in business or computer science. And it was very interesting. Anyway, so I got a degree in business and I got very good at seeing big pictures and all that. But then I go into practice and I remember I, I joined my father in practice and I was an associate and my father paid me $300 a week. Nice. Yeah, that's right. A week. And, and I was fine with that. I didn't plan on being an associate forever, but you know, I needed something and he paid me something. And then my goal was to, you know, have my own thing. And, and that's what happened eventually. So that wasn't a problem for me. I, I was, I remember my father was taking stuff to the, to the CPA and I was, I was looking at the books and I'm like, Oh, what the hell what are you doing? What is this? And I'm like, I said, dad, I could save you $50,000 a year in, in 10 minutes. He said, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I said, these are, I said, your overhead stupid. I said, and this was back in the eighties. So everybody had big practices and lots of money coming in, but overhead was high. Yeah, sure. Overhead was very high. And everybody had big office, big staff, all thing like that. So I started that way. And then I did like every other doctor does just idiotic stuff. I had a CPA and I would just keep boxes of shit receipts the shoe for the box, year. Yeah. And I would, I, there would be no order. I would just put this stuff in a box. And then on April 3rd, <laughs> I, would, I would drive over to the CPA's office and I would happily deposit my box of stuff <laughs> to which the CPA was like, great, thanks. Yeah. And then, and then I would, so I did that every year and I, <laughs> I the same thing happened every year. I would get a tax return. They're, okay. Your tax return is done. Great. Come pick it up. I go pick it up and they're like, okay, here's your tax return. You owe $20,000. I said, how is that possible? I didn't make $20,000. Yes. Oh, yeah, you, you did. You did. <laughs> but you didn't. I'm like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? Pay it. Pay it. Yeah. What if, what if I don't have it? <laughs> that's, a, that's an issue. <laughs> well, this went on for years and I, I just didn't do anything about it. And then one day I get a letter from the Internal Revenue Service. My, my CPA that I'd used for a number of years passed away. And then I had to move over to a different CPA. That's no problem. 
I get a letter from the Internal Revenue Service telling me that I owed them $100,000. And I was like, uh, uh. I said, what, for what? And it was, it was something about payroll taxes. And stuff. Sure. They said I hadn't paid. I'm like, what are you talking about? A patient of mine was also a friend of mine. It was a tax attorney, a very good tax attorney. And I was like, dude, I got this. What, what, what do I do? And he goes, let me find out. So he calls them, talks to somebody, and then set up a meeting. We go down to a meeting, and he starts asking questions and finding out. And it turned out that the CPAs, both of them, were just completely screwing this up. Now, I'll be honest. I accept some responsibility for this sure. because I was delivering my shoebox of receipts. I was not paying attention. I was not being proactive. I just thought they were doing it. So that was on me. Uh, and I thought, now my my attorney friend got me out of that jam, paying nothing, zero, except to him. To him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it was better than $100,000. And I said to him, I said, I'm so pissed. I said, I'm pissed at myself, but I need to learn this stuff. And he said, Greg, let me tell you something. He said, I can, I can put you in the direction of learning what you need to do. And then if you want to use the CPA at that point, that's fine. But instead of dropping off a shoebox full of receipts, you will have a much better plan. Is that end? Maybe you won't even need a CPA. It kind of depends. I'm like, all right. So he kind of started me on the path and I started researching stuff, you know, stuff that he would give me, internet stuff, whatever. And I probably spent about a hundred hours. I could have had a diplomate in something for that. And right. it was awful. It was miserable. I hated accounting. In fact, when I took accounting in college, the professor asked us on the first day of class, you know, why are you here? What are you looking to get out of this class? And all these students were like, you know, oh, I want to learn how to do a, you know, a profit, all this bullshit. He gets yeah. to me and I said, you know, want to know what I want out of this class? I want the phone number of a good CPA. That's what I want out of this <laughs> class. <laughs> anyway, so I spent my hundred hours. I learned all those stuff. And then I got, I started doing stuff with it. And, and then my attorney was like, Greg, I got to tell you, you are probably better at this than most CPAs that I work with. And so I'm like, all right, so what can I do? So the first thing I did, so at the, you know, I had one business at the time and I had it set up and he said, you want to set this up as an LLC? I said, okay. So I set it up as an LLC. And then as time went on, then it made sense to switch it to a, an S corporation. Right. But I thought mistakenly that I had to cancel out my LLC and start uh, a new corporation. No. So I started that process halfway through. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold up a second. I don't have to do that. This is just a tax classification. That's right. So I now, so for students, everybody, when you start looking at this, and this came up in the conversation, I, I originally made a comment. I said, I'm giving you some general information. Very this general. Yes. Federal general information. Because somebody's going to be like, well, in my state, you don't do right. it. Like, there, there will be states, parts of the country that something will be different. And this came up that California is different because I made a, I made a recommendation, never be a sole proprietor, right? You don't want to do right. that. A sole proprietor is if, you know, if I'm giving banjo lessons on the side and, and I'm making, uh, you know, $1,800 a year. Okay, fine. I'm a sole right. proprietorship. But when you have a business, that's like the worst thing. So then California doctors are like, well, in California, we have to be a sole. 
No, it's not, it's not true. In California, you could be a, a sole proprietor or a medical corporation, but you can't right. be an LLC for that. So I'm like, all right, there's a few of those crazy states, but for the most part, what I'm telling you is going to apply to whatever with that. So the first thing was setting up a bit. We, first thing I talked about was independent contractor versus employee. And so many of these associate things that I see in these, these young doctors doing like that, yeah, you're an employee. You're not an independent contractor. And all the only reason your employer is doing that is because they don't want to pay the payroll taxes because payroll taxes, the employer pays, it's like 15.3%. And that's for social security and Medicare, stuff like that. You pay half of that 15.3% and the employer pays half. Employer doesn't want to pay that. Right. You pay that. Right. But like I said in that post, the moment that a, that boss doctor says to you, I want you here this time, you're an employee. You're no longer an independent contractor. They cannot dictate anything. The easiest way to look at it is if you are, you are renting space. You are renting space. You're an independent. You show up whenever you want. You do whatever business you want. You pay them a, either a, a flat rate rent. And in some, not all states, you can maybe do a percentage because there's other overhead involved. That's fine. But the moment that that boss doctor takes has control, you are an employee. Yeah, and, this and was an issue. This actually was an issue in my life. Uh, I can't remember how many years ago, but like a decade ago. Yeah, it was like come work for us as an independent contractor. Sweet, I know what an independent contractor is. Walked in, had my own logo, my own business name, my own LLC, which is very, very important here. Right. Um, and started doing my own marketing, my own social media stuff. And the the boss guy said, "Hey, why don't you come over to my house for a beer? Let's have a, a talk." You know, and I came over to the house for the beer, and he's like, uh, "I saw you doing like your own marketing stuff." You know, with like a, your own logo and all that. I'm like, yeah. I, why are you doing that? Why are you marketing yourself? I, I've, I need to approve what you're marketing, and it's really like you're supposed to be under our logo and print out a W two. Then, whoa, 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 bro, 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 bro. No, <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like I gotta approve. It's my office. It's my. If it's your office, then you're telling me what to do. Print out the W two, and uh, that created consternation over a whatever period of time it takes for some people there they've got the yeah some people got i didn't have the minute shut spot at that moment it took a while longer and a couple more times for me to say if you don't like me setting my own schedule and you don't like me doing it the way i want to do it then print the w2 and tell me what to do or shut your mouth and then eventually i had to leave and all that get get my business name out of That's your right. freaking mouth. <laughs> That's right, man. Uh, but this is a huge problem for our profession and for the young people <laughs> that go into it, right? Like this is, this happens all the time. This isn't a one-off. All the time. This isn't a two-off. This happens every single day. And yep. it, it happens, one, because at some point, whoever the business owner, practice owner guy was or gal, when they entered the profession, that's how it was done to right. them. And they didn't learn anywhere else how to do it any different. And they just yep. kind of roll that ball. Rolled down with it. That's exactly we, what we're happened. trying to break the cycle here. Yeah. So rule one, if you're going to be on your own and you're not an employee, you need to have the corporate designation, whatever the appropriate one is for where you are practicing LLC. If S corp is appropriate for you, 
all, all right. that stuff. So we'll talk about it in a second. So the first thing is if you are an actual W-2 employee, and that means out of your paycheck, they're taking out taxes and stuff like that, you're a W-2 employee, then, then every patient that you see is property of that clinic. Right. They are not your patients. So when you leave that practice, those patients don't go with you. So just be aware. If you're going to start bitching to us about, you know, I signed this, you know, there's a 10 mile thing. And, and I, I always bring up, did you sign a contract? Well, yeah, but I'm like, yeah, that's all I need to know. You signed a contract. I, it wasn't a good idea, but you signed it. Can you get out of it? Maybe, but you signed it, right? Be a, be a man or woman of your word. Very so, hard to sort of, that's very hard to put across, shall we say, the modern era of practitioners. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to say that they all have a victim mentality. I don't even want to say most of them do. Just everyone, huh. there's always some capacity of victim mentality, right? But it's mm -hmm. like, oh, no, I, they got me into a bad contract. You signed a bad contract yeah. with your hand and your pen. That's what happens. So if so, just be aware of that. And then if you truly are an independent contractor and you're doing your own thing, you go into another office, doctors, please do not commingle your patients into their EHR. That is a nightmare that I have to deal with more frequently than I want to with that. Have your own, it could be the same software if you want, but have your own computer, your own EHR. That way, when it's time for you to move on, and it will be at some point, you take your computer and you go. And there's no restrictive anything. You go, you could go across the street if you want to. These are your patients, your patient files. But when you commingle them with the doctor who owns the office or that particular practice, oh my gosh, now you have to try to figure out whose patient is, that, that's a nightmare. Right. Don't do it. So Start and they will, they will resist you. Yeah. The, the ownership. Well, it's and harder that way. It's just more difficult for the staff to fit. You know, nope. we're going to have to do extra steps. Uh, I don't care. It, you have to be able to draw the line. And this is why the young docs get into these problems is because it's like, uh, you know, the, the issue we had earlier this week in the FTCA Facebook group was, you know, someone saying my spouse has this bad contract that they need to sign for this, the practice they have joined. They haven't joined it. They didn't sign the contract. But mentally, psychologically, they want to be there. Yeah. You know, like people, <clears throat> I want to practice in this town because it's my hometown. I want to practice right. in Vail because I love Vail. I want, to, I want to practice here because my boyfriend lives here. Like they're emotionally committed to practicing to a place that they'll sign like, and, and quite frankly, honestly, like jobs aren't that easy to come by. Right, a good job that isn't, you know, just doesn't stink of bad air. It's like a good job's hard to come by. So you're like, I, I want to. It's like buying a car, right? Like they get you emotionally to buy the car, and then you pull it off the lot, and it like immediately loses value. It was like a bad deal, <laughs> right. you know. It's like the warranty expires in 48 hours. You, yeah. you didn't even read any of the fine print. You just wanted the damn car. Yeah. Like no one wants to read the fine print. They just want to work in these offices. You know, a uh, somebody posted sometime over the weekend, there's an interesting conversation about buying a house. This doctor is in Texas, I think, and wants to buy it. He and his wife want to buy a house and they're running into problems with that. And 
somebody replied back kind of negatively, but I thought it's a valid point, right? Said, look, you got to look at where you are. I mean, if the average home price is $525,000, that's not going to be easy to do that. And that's going to be so expensive for you. And they're absolutely right. So I I was thinking about that today. I'm like, so for those looking, when you're looking to, to work someplace or to start your own practice somewhere, keep that in mind. What's, you know, you've got to think about your financial future too. Is it, is it, is it, Hey, I'm going to start my practice in midtown Manhattan. Right. Okay. Well, you're not going to live in midtown Manhattan. I can tell you that. Yeah. The realities of the situation, right? Yeah. Um, So, you you know, you have to, but then again, there's, you could, you know, I want to live in the country. Okay. You might be able to get an inexpensive, a less expensive house in the country, but in 10 years, that house has gained no value and appreciation. So you have to kind of weigh the different uh, the different options in there and see what's going to work best for you. Like, hey, like, can you imagine buying a house in Los Angeles right now? Right. Well, I'm, I'm from San Luis Obispo, California. Like the the average home there is probably 800000 Who knows right. at this point? That's and, tough. And when I lived there and I practiced there, um, I would see new docs move into town with their one room office I'm like, this isn't gonna like you're not even from here you don't even know how how our our community works like they're gonna stare at your office for a year it's a small town they don't know you they're gonna stare at your office for a year and if you're still in business after a year they're gonna be like oh it must be good if you're still in business let me check them out like can you mm-hmm. weather the first year and most yeah. of them did not and i know how it is yeah. because where i'm from and like where you're from they're beautiful places to live so people drive through them with their girlfriend or their boyfriend, right? But while they're in college, they're like, "Well, when I'm out of college, I'm gonna I want to live here because I'm a doctor and I deserve to live in a nice place." And so I'm just gonna roll right in because I deserve great things. And then they they realize that the whole town is full of doctors that deserve deserve great things and attorneys yep. that deserve great things and yeah, business people happens all the time, all the time. And it okay, happened so- to me too. Well, I I want to tell this one more story. Yeah, tell the story. When when I started. I had a choice between two different offices. One that was pretty, very nicely decorated, a lot of accoutrements and neat little things to make my ego feel great. (laughs) Um, But they weren't going to pay me well to get started because they had overhead. And then there was an office that offered me a position that was not pretty, uh, you know, that was built out a little sketchy. And it was, you know, the the paintings on the wall were crooked and you could, you you know, there was like a laundromat next door, you know, like in a a strip mall (laughs) type thing. But they had more pay, they had patients coming out of their ears and the bonus checks were going to come in and they were going to pay real nice for you to be there. Of course, I'm not a completely moron. I took the place that was going to pay me well until I was like, now I deserve something nice. Went to the nice place, got my ass handed to me and then went back to working at a place where I could learn and make a lot of money, even though it wasn't the prettiest place. I know how these docs decide things a lot of times mm-hmm. based on the ego, the location the the beauty of the practice they want to go work at that they will overlook a contract to take the opportunity versus like really looking things over about what can get them off the ground yeah the easiest or the most prosperous within the first two to year one to two years of practicing uh, they'll overlook those for ego laden things yep yep great story okay so now let's talk about the next thing I talked about was setting up a bit let so this is for Okay, so now you're going to be, you can have your own practice. You're going to be the business owner. 
Your yes. options are, and what most people do is they start off as the easiest kind of the default setting for owning a business. And that is sole proprietor. Right? Yeah. I'm going to be a sole proprietor. Now it's super easy to start that. You don't need to do a whole lot with that. Now, any of these things you, you, you typically start at the state level, right? And you just go to your state website and it could be like in my state, it's like, Hey, I'm in Arizona. So it's like uh, AZ, uh, what is it? There's there's Department of Economic Security. There's Department of Revenue. There's, in fact, you could just Google how do I start an, uh, an, a, a, a sole proprietorship in whatever state you're in. You could just Google that, and they'll come up with the state's websites and things like that. And start with that. Now, I caution people to not not go into a an, a sole proprietorship. The easy again, like I said before. If you're just going to give banjo lessons on the side and you're going to make 1800 bucks a year, if you're lucky, a sole proprietorship is fine. No, no big problem. But if you're going to be serious about this and have a business, you that. want to, at the very least, have an LLC set up. Now, an LLC is a limited liability company, and you could have just one person in it, or you could have multiple people in it, like partners. Right. Uh, I'm not a fan of partnerships. I've seen a couple over the years that have worked pretty well. Eventually, they something happens, but some of them can work for sure. But for the most part, don't get and don't get into a partnership with your buddy from school. Don't do it. Let me repeat this: Don't do it. I, was I clear? Don't do that. Yes. It's the biggest nightmare that I see, and it affects friendships and it affects relationships. Oh, well, I'm going to get into partnership with my brother-in-law. Don't do it. It's like when somebody says, "I'm buying a house with my fiance." No, you're not. You're not going to do that. Well, why not? The day after you're married, let me know. And then we can talk about you buying a house. But until you're married and there's some kind of a contract, don't do it. it it'll affect everything. Yeah. I have a, a, a nephew-in-law. His family are huge car dealerships in our state. Like huge, big money. And whenever, and I've bought a number of cars from him, from my nephew-in-law over the years. And, and I don't like buying new cars. So I usually buy one or two years old because I'm smart. <laughs> and, and whenever I buy a car that's one or two years old, he makes me buy a, an extended warranty. And I've never been a fan of extended warranties. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't need it. And he says, I'm not going to sell you the car unless you buy an extended warranty. I said, why not? And he goes, Greg, these cars, even though they're in great shape and we go through them mechanically and cosmetically and we check them all out, stuff comes up sometimes that we didn't know about. And I don't want to be sitting across from you at Thanksgiving dinner one, one night and you're giving me the stink eye because something happened in the car. I, right. I don't want to do it. So buy the damn warrant. And, and I did. And I did. And every car I got from him. And on every car I've gone from him, something happened. Something and happened we now. needed that warrant. <laughs> like, wow, that was pretty. And he's just a young, he's like 40 or something. So anyway, that was pretty funny. Anyway, so LLC is a good place to start if you don't know else what to do. Does it, you know, the, and the, the, would they market for an LLC? Oh, protect your assets. Nah. Yeah, to a certain sort extent, of. sort of, not completely. Uh, but that's a good first step on that. You know, they'll say, oh, it protects you like if you, you know, when you rent rent an office space or something like that, it protects you from being uh, personally responsible. I'm like, 
shut the hell up. I said, every lease that you're going to run into, they're going to go, yeah, whatever. You're going to sign this personally. You're right. going to guarantee this personally. That's right. I, un, until you're at a certain level <clears throat> and you got a, you know, like $100 million on your balance sheet, maybe then they'll take your LZ. But other than that, so that's not the big selling piece. But it, when you do an LLC, you've got to understand how to live your in any kind of business, whether it's LLC or S Corp, whatever. You got to understand how to live your life in a deductible way. <laughs> and, and it sounds weird, but it it works, right? It works. You cannot deduct everything in your life. It just doesn't happen. And you don't want to do that. I think I mentioned the story back when I started out, you know, back in those days, everybody's goal was to show no more than $50,000 a year income on their tax return, Right. Your business made whatever. Yep, I made fifty thousand. Right. right. Everybody wanted to do that because that you paid less taxes. Well, how do you get a mortgage? Well, back in those days, we had a thing called stated income mortgage, we, and this was great. We would go to the go to the mortgage person, and we would say, um, "I'd like to get a mortgage. I'd like to apply for a mortgage, please." And the mortgage person would say, "Okay, do you have a job?" Uh, well, I I own my own business. And the mortgage person would say, oh, you're on your own business. So, so how much, how much do you make? What? <laughs> well, how, how much, how much money do you make in a year? The gross. Yeah. The uh, gross, the business. Literally you could make anything up. Uh, <laughs> I make $300,000 a year. And they would say, okay, sign here. Do you need to see a tax return? Nope. We trust you. <laughs> oh my god that worked out great <laughs> that worked out well it, it did work out for a while um and, and, until it didn't until uh, then the subprime thing fell apart and yeah they don't do that anymore yeah uh, but so <laughs> back then it was great because we could get whatever mortgage on a fifty thousand dollar year income on your tax return no problem doesn't work anymore now i go to get a mortgage and they say we want to see oh you own a business well more complicated to buy a house when you own a business and when you don't have W-2 income, more complicated. So now I got to give them two years of tax returns. Well, what if I was only showing this much on my tax return? Now I've got a problem. So now there's this balancing act. I've got to, I've got to show enough so that I can still do stuff. So the reality is there's no more, don't cheat. Don't try to find your ways out of it. There are things that we can do to reduce our taxes. Here's what I tell you. The more money, the more you pay in taxes means the more money you made. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. The more money you make, the more taxes you're going to pay, right? Until you get to a certain point and a certain level, and then all of your income is from investments. You well, know? let's, yes, let's cover that. So yeah, uh, can you see my share screen? I can. So this is Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Quadrants. It's a book about it. It's not the best book in the world but you can read it to get the general idea the picture is the whole book though on the left side of this graph you're going to have an employee that I mean w-2 employee you have a job you have no leverage in this situation whether you think you do or not you can leave the situation but you work for money also on the left side of that graph is the self-employed which is probably the most damnable place to be if you were <laughs> going to be a chiropractor you still have a job you feel like you're a business owner, but you still have a job. You are still leveraging your work for money. Yep. Um, 
And the reason why this graph is broken up this way is all the things to the left, employee and self-employed, bear the heaviest tax burden of this whole thing. The reason why is because you do not have any leverage in the situation. There are not a lot of deductibles you can take being self-employed or an employee. You, you, and you also pay part of that um, uh, payroll tax. So you eat a pretty big shit sandwich when you're on the left side that you don't realize, but that's because the world is being taken care of for you. The reason why the things on the right are so advantageous being a business owner or an investor of this line here, this vertical line, is because you do have leverage. Our system rewards business owners because you employ people. And employing people is what makes the world go around. What make, mm -hmm. It's what makes cars get sold, refrigerators are bought, vacations are taken, more taxes are collected by governments from the employees and the self-employed because you've created situations for them. So you own a system not a job. You get people to work for you and the government rewards you for being an employee, for employing other people. That also means if you own an LLC or S Corp, whatever you want to call it, whatever your setup is, you are an employee of that system. So what Greg was saying was like, you pay yourself 50,000 a year and you try to standard this line and you get deductibles. That's part of that game is the, the state tax system and the federal tax system they're going to expect that you're paying yourself a certain amount uh, by bi-monthly, monthly, whatever, that you have an income. Right. And then there's a, and then whatever is above that. So say you pay yourself, uh, I don't know, what, okay, we'll make the number, like you pay yourself $1,000 a month. Okay, they're going to audit you, but you pay yourself <laughs> $1,000 a month, and then, but you make $10,000 a month. The other $9,000 a month comes to your bank account through pass-through income which is a benefit you have as a business owner. Uh, all the excess of your income as the owner would come to you. Now, this is the part where the associates think like all the money is just flowing into the owner's pocket. <laughs> but, you know, after, great. after an owner, if they can take a paycheck, if they can afford to pay themselves, and after they've covered overhead, it's really a couple percentage points that gets put through pass-through income uh, right. at, at the most. Not a lot, but they always think like, you know it's just a it's just a dairy farm and the, asso the associates are just making the milk and then it's all going right, right to the owner's pocket now what greg is getting at is the fourth category is such this a is value. where you want to be this is where you this is the ultimate goal you want to assign like if there was a path to this maybe you start as an employee maybe you become self-employed for a while and realize how horrible that situation is but you had to get out of being an, a true employee and the self-employment was just a bridge to becoming a business owner where you operate a system uh, with other people working for you. But eventually you want to get to the investor category where you own investments and money works for you. Then go take it from there, Greg, about being an investor. Now, the investor part, this is where our politicians like to have fun with us. So when you hear, <laughs> when you hear politicians say, these billionaires, they're not paying their fair share. These corporations, they're not paying. I'm like, what a bunch of shit that is. That is the funniest thing that I've ever heard. All right. So as when you're an investor, how come the how come these guys don't pay taxes or hardly any taxes? Because they're not getting W-2s. They own the business, right? They own the business. And most of these big shot 
business corporate owners like that, the, the majority of their income is coming from shares of stock or options in the company. Well, you're not taxed on those until you go to sell them. Now, when you sell them, now there's like a, there's a capital gains tax, which is, what is it, 20% or so? Yeah. Changes every few years, but about 20% or so capital gains tax, which is nothing, but only when they sell it. Only when so, they sell it. And then when they, when they sell it, there's another part of the tax code that says, like if you sell a big piece of property or a building, you have X amount of time to reinvest that into something. It's called a 1031 exchange. And, uh, and as, long as, you, as long as you put that, that's when, when you have a house and you sell your house and you take that money that you made and you put it into the next house, you're good. You're not get taxed on that. But if you sold the house and you take the cash, like, hey, I just made a half a million dollars. I'm just going to, I'm going to take the cash. Now you're paying capital gains on that. So everybody tries to defer the capital gains by doing that. So the investors, they're not making W-2 income. They're not taxed on that. They're just making these, these investments and they're just putting it into the next one, into the next one and boom. And then if they are getting income, it could be rental income, which is taxed differently. The worst and highest tax that we have is that W-2 tax. And I remember one person that ran for president about 10, 10, 12 years ago or so got in a lot of trouble because at a, at a speech he was doing, he said out loud, and it was a hot mic. He didn't know the mic was on. It was a hot mic. And he said, about half the population of the United States does not pay any income tax, which is true, right? Very, income tax, I, right. Every, every time I see a family with eight kids, I'm like, you're not paying any <laughs> income tax. Nope. There's no income tax there. So that's kind of the little game that they play. So the investor part, that's when you've got passive and all that kind of stuff. And you pay very little in taxes until you go to sell the stuff. Well, don't now, forget the business, if there's losses as an investor, you get to write those losses off as well. Right. Which is where, tax you know, harvesting one, at the end of the year, one particular person who, uh, has been in the media for a few years now and and was a politically whatever. And this person got a lot of heat because on their tax returns, you know, they showed $700 million in losses in one year. And then and then the other politicians say, I don't mean I'm not making this a political thing, but the every the others would joke about, oh, I thought he was a good businessman. I'm like, that's nothing to do with any of this. These are these are passive losses and the tax code is set up so that you can roll these over to the next year. And that's what everybody at that level does. That's just what is done with that. So ideally we're all in the investor category. Realistically, very few of us will get there, but that's where we want to be. Right. Few, few but, of us will live there exclusively. Yeah. Some of us will dabble in there a little bit. Right. But above won't. that is the business owner system. That is where, you want to get yourself to be with that.